0: Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Liam, and I have the the privilege of being the youth pastor here at Kenmore. And uh, this morning, I I get to jump into the the second week uh, in our Christmas series for the year. as uh, Together, we really just walk into this Christmas season together and um, look at some of the really big themes and ideas that that really revolve around Christmas. And and look, this, this morning, I sort of want to preach a very different sort of Christmas message. Uh, don't get me wrong, I mean, I love a good Christmas message as much as the next guy. Uh, three wise men, baby Jesus, meek and mild, the shepherds, all of it, I love it, it's amazing. Uh, but, but as much as I love those stories, I actually know that for a whole bunch of us, that that, that picture perfect Christmas, that, that nativity scene Christmas, it's, well, it's, it's just not what we actually experience. That the busyness, the stresses, the the hardships, the anxieties of this life we live, they don't just stop because all of a sudden it's December and we're in the Christmas season. Uh, That in a whole lot of ways, Christmas can actually amplify and bring to the surface some of the the issues we've been putting off for the rest of the year. And and so what that means is that for a whole bunch of us here this morning, Christmas this year is actually going to be kind of hard. And be, because we do focus so much on those Christmas stories that we all know and love, uh, I, I think what that means is we, we actually forget that the very first Christmas, well, it was pretty hard as well. It, it was a messy event. Uh, that, that Mary and Joseph, they, they weren't this mature couple who were ready to, to take on a child, let alone the Son of God. Uh, and, and, you know, the whole nativity scene, the birth of Jesus... It, it, was, it was in a stable. I mean, there would have been mud, there would have been hay, there would have been dirt. It, it wasn't that, like, nice, clean image we have in Grandma's nativity set. It, it would have been messy. That it was not a picture-perfect scene. That it wasn't what either Mary or Joseph would have chosen if they had had the choice. That, in a lot of ways, the first Christmas was an impossible Christmas. So if you are here this morning and you are going through some real-life issues this Christmas, if you are facing some real hardships, if you've got a messy family situation or or things are just not going the way you planned, then I think that was exactly what the very first Christmas was like as well. And I suppose to give you the, the summary of this message right from the outset, what I want you to know is that even if you are experiencing an impossible situation this Christmas... Even if it feels like your life is falling apart, even if nothing is going the way you planned it to go, you can actually take heart. You can have joy, because God is a God who takes impossible situations and uses them to do the incredible. And that's exactly what I want to show you this morning. All right, so if you've got your Bible with you, we're going to be in Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, uh, and we'll be picking off at verse 26. Verse 26. Uh, and where we're jumping into things this morning, we're really we're right at the start of the whole Christmas narrative, uh, right at the point where Mary sort of discovers or finds out about the baby Jesus growing in her stomach. And if I'm being honest, it's right at the point where all of Mary's plans begin to come crumbling down around her. And it all starts with an incredulous greeting. All right, Luke chapter 1, verse 26 in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. All right, so, so we start off by really introducing our two main characters here, yeah? Mary and Joseph. And, and I say characters kind of lightly because what I don't want you to think is, is I don't want you to think of Mary and Joseph as these two fictional characters in this made-up story. That they were, I don't want you to think a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away or, or once upon a time, that these were real people with real lives facing real issues who would have had to react to the things going around them in a real way. Like, like actually, just imagine if there, there was a young couple standing up here on stage in front of me. On one hand, we've got Joseph, right? Uh, although all his friends call him Joe, and, you know, Joe has just turned 18. Uh, he's a carpenter, so he spends most of his days uh, making tables and chairs for uh, people in the quiet little town of Nazareth. Uh, Joe's a pretty good bloke. He, he hangs out with his mates most of the time. He, he goes to church every week. And, you know, the biggest thing that has happened in Joe's life over the last couple of months is he's just got engaged to the girl of his dreams, Mary. And he still can't get his mind around the fact that he's actually going to marry this amazing and beautiful and just awesome woman. And then on the other side, we've got Mary, right? Uh, Mary's probably a little bit younger than Joe. Uh, she's probably around 14 to 16, but uh, that would have been a pretty normal age for her to be getting married. Uh, Mary is probably the daughter of a farmer, so they don't have a lot of cash going around, but they make enough to get by. Uh, And Mary has spent her whole life in this quiet little town of Nazareth. And and it really is a small town. It's a small rural community. Uh, There's probably less than 300 people at the time that call Nazareth home. Uh, So, you know, if you've ever been to a small town, everyone knows everyone. And uh, word would have gotten around pretty quickly that these two are getting engaged. Not that it would actually surprise anyone because, again, it's a small town. So Mary and Joseph probably grew up knowing each other that they probably grew up as friends, that their parents have probably been planning this marriage for years. And Mary would just be so excited for her wedding. You know, she's been planning it for months. She's got the wedding dress picked out, the the flower arrangements chosen, the the, the first song is picked. She she knows how it's all going to work out. And she just can't wait for the day. She walks down the aisle and sees her Joe standing at the end of it. And sure, maybe that's taking a little bit of liberty on the text, but but that's the sort of situation we're dealing with. That that is the context of where we're jumping into things. That this is this real couple who are are ready to get married, who are ready to do life together. And and it's really into that context that this angel steps in and he throws all of those plans into disarray. Uh, Verse 28, and the angel came to her and said, greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But Mary was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Don't you love it when the Bible uses some really ordinary language to explain a really extraordinary event? I mean, Mary has just been visited by an angel. And what we're told is she was greatly troubled uh, no, what I think Mary is in this situation is, is Mary is freaking out. Mary is panicking. I, I mean, there she is, like getting water out the well or making some bread, just going about her ordinary life, when all of a sudden this angel steps out of nowhere, turns to her, and starts speaking to her on behalf of God. I mean, Mary's like terrified, she, she doesn't know how to respond. And the reason I think that's so clear is because the very next words the angel says after the greeting uh, is, do not be afraid. Um, And and look, there's a reason that every time an angel shows up in the Bible, they start with something along the lines of, do not be afraid. Uh, Or my personal favorite, don't worry, you're not going to die. (laughs) It's because angels are actually terrifying. They, they strike fear in our heart. They, they cause people to get to this place where they feel like they're going to die because they've met an angel. Uh, that, that angels aren't these little chubby babies with diapers and, and wings and little Nerf bow and arrows. Uh, they're not wimpy guys in bathrobes walking around in clouds. They, they are divine and otherworldly beings. They, they are messengers of the almighty King of kings and Lord of lords that... Uh, Both the Greek word angelios and and the Hebrew word malak, which we translate as angel in the New and Old Testament, uh, both of those words just mean messengers. That that angels are primarily messengers of God. And, And so that means when they show up, they show up with all the weight, with all the authority, with all the delegated power of the very same God who made the universe. And when that sort of authority steps into your life and starts speaking to you on behalf of God, I think you are in your rights to be afraid. Uh, but, But look, that being said, I don't actually think it was just the presence of the angel that caused Mary to be afraid. See, what we're told is she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting it might be. So that yes, Mary's probably terrified by the fact that an angel has stepped into her life, but... She's she's just as afraid, if not more so, with what the angel is saying to her. Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. To which I think if Mary's anything like me, she's like, favoured one, me. I I think you've got the wrong person. I'm not anyone special. I'm not anyone important. I don't have any reputation or power or authority. Heck, I, I don't even have a sense to my name. I am a no-named nobody from a nowhere town. And I don't think Mary would be wrong if that's how she responded. I mean, the angel didn't come to Jerusalem, uh, the the sort of religious capital of the country. He didn't come to Bethlehem, the, the city of kings. He came to an obscure little village called Nazareth. The angel didn't come to a priest or to royalty or to a wealthy merchant. No, he came to a young, illiterate girl the daughter of a farmer, that Mary is completely undeserving of what is happening to her. And yet despite her lack of qualifications, despite despite the simplicity of her present situation, God chooses to show favour on Mary. And and that word there where it says, O favoured one, that word in Greek, it comes from the, the root word charis. And everywhere else in the Bible we have the word charis. It is translated as Grace. That it is undeserved favor, a gift freely given, or a blessing from God. That the, the angel doesn't rock up and say, Greetings, O righteous one. He doesn't rock up and say, Greetings, O holy one, or greetings, O perfect one. He says, Greetings, O favored One. Greetings to the one who has received a gift from God. See, despite what the Catholic Church would have us believe, and Look, nothing against the Catholic Church. I think they do a whole bunch of things really well. But despite what they say, Mary, she wasn't really different from us. She wasn't this amazing person that somehow earned God's grace. No, she was a sinner who needed a savior just as much as the rest of us do. And so it is the grace of God that she's actually receiving this greeting. It is the grace of God that she finds favor in his sight. And can I just say, that is the entire story of Christianity. That Christianity is the story of a God who lavishes his love upon a people who do not deserve it. It is the story of a God who recklessly chases down his rebellious children. That where every other world religion would ask the question, what must I do to earn God's favour? Christianity stands alone in saying that God shows favour on us, though we have not earned it. That whilst you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. That oh, what love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God. That God is a God who pours his favour on us in such extravagance that it is almost scandalous. So, So look, if you are here this morning and you feel like you are too far gone, If you feel like you are too broken, too too stuffed up to actually earn the favor of God, then what I need you to know from the outset this morning is that makes you perfectly positioned to receive God's blessing. That God is a God who pours his grace out on, on those who do not deserve it. That church, we did not deserve for Jesus to come. We did not deserve for Jesus to die a sinner's death on the cross that we deserved. We did not deserve for God to stretch out his right hand and say, I have paid the price so that you may come back into relationship with me. And yet that, that is the God we serve. And that is why the angel can turn to Mary, a no-named girl from a nowhere town, and says, the Lord is with you, O favoured one. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus. Jesus. In Hebrew, that that word would be Yehoshua, or Yeshua if you want to abbreviate it a little bit. Uh, Joshua would be another uh, good translation into English. And if I'm being honest, there's nothing special about the name Jesus. It would have been a really common name for hundreds of, of male Jewish people living in that time. It'd be like, Tom or Matt or Liam, it was a really ordinary name. But but what Jesus actually means in Hebrew is it means Yahweh saves. Yehoshua, Yahweh's salvation. See, what the angel is saying to Mary in this moment is, yeah, Mary, you don't deserve this that this is the favor of God in your life, you have done nothing to earn this, but because of the grace of God, you will conceive, you will bear a son and his name will be called Yahweh saves. That through you will come the Messiah, through you will come the one who will make all the wrong things right in this world, through you will come the one who restores all the broken things. And he he will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. That that Mary, the one that is growing in your stomach is the one who has been prophesied for generations. The Messiah, the Anointed One, the Root of David and the Shoot of Jesse, the Suffering Servant, Emmanuel, God with us, the Prince of Peace, the Wonderful Counselor and the Perfect Lamb of God. That, Jesus, your son, uh, that Mary, your son, is the one who will take away the sin of the world. That is what the angel is saying by saying his name will be Jesus. And as beautiful and as amazing as that is, I don't think Mary processes any of it. <laughs> I, I really think Mary is still stuck on that first line that the angel said, uh, that you will conceive and bear a son. And the reason I think that is, again, Mary doesn't respond to the prophetic titles, she just turns to the angel and says, how will this be, since I am a virgin? Um, And look, last time I spoke through this story, um, it was at youth, and all the teenagers laughed at the word virgin, because it's how teenagers work. Uh, (laughs) But but it's a legit question, right? I I mean, Mary turns to the angel and she's like, look, Mr. Gabriel, I'm no doctor, I'm not a physician. There's normally something that has to happen first in order to fall pregnant, and I haven't done it. But see, Mary has a whole lot of questions, a whole lot of lack of understanding as to how this can be possible. I mean, what does she do with that? What does she do with the fact that she's been told she's going to conceive and bear a son? I don't think Mary knows how she can possibly believe it. And perhaps more so, I don't think Mary knows what she's going to do if it is actually true. See, again, we've been told these Christmas stories so many times over that we sort of just skim over this in the Bible, right? But just just stop and process it for a second. An angel has just come and told this teenage girl that she's going to be a mother. Mary's not excited. Mary's not jumping for joy and saying, yay, baby Jesus. No, Mary's horrified. I mean, Mary lives in a time and a culture that if you fall pregnant outside of marriage, it's not just embarrassing. It's not just inconvenient. They kill you. They take you outside of town and they stone you to death. I mean, what does Mary do with that? And, and I mean, can you, can you just imagine how she has to go and tell Joseph that? Like, like how's that going to work? She, she rocks up at his house, she, she knocks at his door and it's like, hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. Jo- Joseph, <laughs> he's not going to be cool with that. He's not going to respond in a good way. He's going to go, well, okay, who did you cheat on me with? And Mary's only response in that moment is, no one, this is God's doing. And again, we know these stories so well. We're like, yeah, of course Joseph should believe that. No, he won't. No no guy in his right mind is just going to go along with a story like that. See, what is happening in this moment is God is putting Mary in an impossible situation. So look, I'm going to be real for a second, and I want to ask you guys a hard question. Are you going through an impossible situation this Christmas? You know, maybe, maybe it's your marriage. And, you know, you're here and, and you're putting on the smile, but inside it's kind of a bit fake, right? And you're smiling and you're laughing at the jokes at all the right moments, but it's like you haven't even looked at each other in six months. And maybe you fought the whole way to church. Or even worse, you actually didn't fight, that it was just silence, the whole drive-in. And it just feels like an impossible situation. Or maybe he already left. Or maybe she already left. And it's just like, God, what do I do here? Maybe it's your health. Or, or again, even worse, maybe it's the health of, of someone you hold really close to your heart. And you know, you've done all the right things. You, you went to the doctor. You, you caught it early. You, you got treatment as soon as, phys- as was physically possible. And, and you didn't even just do the medicine thing. You involved the church as well, right? You got in as many prayer chains as you knew how to get into, and every grandma in this church and three other churches is currently praying for the situation. And there still hasn't been any improvement. In fact, it's actually gotten worse. And now you're trying to work out how you're going to split up Christmas Day between visiting the hospital and being at home for the rest of your family. And it just feels like an impossible situation. Or maybe it's an impossible addiction or an impossible financial situation or, or, or a family um, tear or whatever it is. It's like you look at your circumstances. You look around you and you feel just like Mary. You feel like there's no way you can get out of this in and of your own strength, that it is an impossible situation. And you know what the most confusing about, thing about all of that is? That is what we are told is the favor of God. That Mary is told it is the favor of God that she has found herself in a situation that is utterly impossible. See, I I don't know what you're going through this Christmas. I I don't know what impossible situation you're in, but, but maybe, just maybe, it is the grace of God that your situation feels impossible. Because maybe that means God will do more in and through it than you ever thought was possible. See, the truth of the matter is we know how the Christmas narrative ends. We we know that that God can use the pregnancy of a teenage girl out of wedlock to bring salvation to the whole world. And, And if he can do such an incredible thing through such an impossible situation, then he can do the same in your life. That if God can take Jesus dying the most shameful death the world has ever known on the cross and use that to redeem a broken people, then maybe he can do the same in your life. That church, if the tomb is empty, if Jesus went to the cross, died, and then rose three days later, then anything is possible. And look, I know that doesn't necessarily make it any easier. And maybe like Mary, you're not gonna see the fruit of that for 30 years. Maybe it's not going to make sense today or tomorrow or next year or or this side of eternity. Maybe it's only going to make sense when you step through those pearly gates and you see everything through the filter of the cross. But the fact remains that God is a God who uses broken situations to do the brilliant. That, That God is a God who uses the impossible to do the incredible. But, but look, God doesn't ignore our pain. I'll make that very clear. He, he does not. And, and he doesn't ignore Mary's pain. Um, I mean, just look at how Gabriel uh, responds to Mary's question. He, he does his best, he, he tries to give Mary the explanation. Uh, verse 35 And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be bo- born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. The Gabriel's like, Okay, Mary, this is the logistics of how this is going to work. Holy Spirit, he's going to come, he's going to fall upon you, shadow of the Most High, and that's, going to, that's how you're going to conceive. That, that is the practical side of what is actually going to happen. And I mean, I, I give Gabriel some kudos. He tried, but it <laughs> doesn't really address the, the pain in Mary's heart in that moment. And, and so he tries again. Uh, and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. It's like, okay, Mary, well, this is an example of a time that God has actually done this before. That that God does miracles. He's done this exact miracle before, and and so God can do this. And again, it it doesn't help with the the pain of the present situation that Mary's actually sitting in. Uh, And so the angel gives one more explanation. And and this is the line that Mary really needed to hear. Uh, Verse 37, for nothing will be impossible with God. See, what I've experienced is more often than not, an explanation of how God is working doesn't actually help that much. That understanding the practicalities of what God is doing in a situation, or the fact that God has actually done this sort of miracle before, doesn't really help me get through the pain. That knowing more is not always the answer. But sometimes we just need to be reminded. We need to be reminded of the fact that God is actually a mountain-moving God. That we need to be reminded of the fact that God is a God who does the impossible. That if God is who he says he is, if God is a God who does miracles, who redeems and restores, then nothing is impossible with that God. And look, if you are here this morning and that is the only line you get out of this entire message, then please take that to heart. That that if you join with God, if you partner with God, then then God can truly do the impossible. That that God is still a mountain-moving God. God is still a miracle-working God. God is still a God who can redeem and restore and bring the dead things back to life. That God is still in the business of bringing salvation, church. That nothing is impossible with God. And so Mary responds, And can I just say, Mary has way more faith than I do? (laughs) Because Mary turns to the angel and says, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. You, You know what Mary doesn't have in this moment? She doesn't have the answers. She, she doesn't have any explanation as to how this is going to work. She, she doesn't know how she's going to tell Joe or, or if you'll even believe her. And look, even if Joseph does believe what Mary says, then what? I mean, all her plans for a life are still in complete uh, ruins. Perfect wedding, out the window. She's, she's going to be nine months pregnant. And even if you, you move past the wedding, I mean, then what? See, Mary is accepting in this moment that she is going to spend the rest of her life known as the woman who felt pregnant outside of marriage. And remember, this is a small town, so word's going to get around pretty quickly. So Mary is also accepting the fact that she's probably just lost most of her friendship circle, most of her support network. And then what about Joseph? Joseph, if he actually does marry her, is going to be known as the man who married a woman who cheated on him during their engagement. And I mean, have you ever considered the fact that Jesus would have grown up being thought of as the son of an illegitimate relation? And, and then just like practical stuff, right? I mean, Mary and Joseph, they weren't ready for a kid. That They weren't in the stage of life where they were expecting this to happen right away. And how in the world do you raise the son of God? See, Mary is in an impossible situation. And yet she still responds with an incredible, Surrender. And look, I've actually got really good news for you this morning. You do not need to have all the answers. You don't. You don't need to know how everything is going to work out. You don't have to understand how God is using a situation in order to just trust him. And I mean, that's my story, right? There's a whole bunch of stuff in my life that I don't understand at all. Why God has blessed me in incredible ways in some areas and then allowed incredible pain and suffering in others. And it's just like, I turn to God, i like, God, this doesn't make sense. I don't understand. And I look around at people in this congregation and people in my life, and they're good, godly people, and yet you just see the pain and the suffering they go through. It's just like, why, God? Like, like, if you are the sovereign God of the universe, surely there is a better way you could have done this. Surely there was an easier way to get through this. And yet knowing and seeing all of that, I still believe that nothing is impossible with God, that, that, that we just have to submit to him and say, behold, I am your servant. And so look, as, as we close off this morning and uh, the band can start coming up, again, I really don't know what you're going through this season. I don't know the pain you're experiencing or the the injustice that that you are going through that you just feel like yelling out to God about. But but I think there, there are three really quick things we can take away from how Mary responds, three positions of the heart that you and I need to take as we go through those dark nights of the soul. Firstly, Mary trusted. Mary trusted that what the angel said was actually true that nothing is impossible with God. In other words, Mary had faith. And I don't mean that that Mary felt good about the situation. Uh, That faith is is not a feeling. It's not saying, I have peace in this moment. Because I can guarantee that Mary is about as far away as peace as you can possibly be. That faith is not merely feeling good about God, but a conscious choice to obey his word when he says, trust me. That choice has nothing to do with mood, but is a deliberate act of laying hold of the character of God. That faith is looking at your crumbling marriage and trusting that if Jesus rose from the grave, then he can bring that dead relationship back to life. Faith is looking at the impossibility of your loved one's health crisis and trusting that God is a God who is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Faith is looking at your addiction or your financial situation or your broken family and saying nothing is impossible with God. And when you get to that point, when you have a faith like that, the the thing it leads to is it leads to a place of submission that Mary submitted. And look, if I'm being honest, this is where most of us go wrong, right? That we can sort of mentally ascend to the fact that God can do something. It just, we get so caught up in, in trying to do it ourselves that we don't let him. But see, when you surrender control of your life into the hands of Jesus Christ, when you humble yourself before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you position yourself rightly before him, just like Mary did, as a servant in the service of a king. When you do that, what happens is, The distance between your brokenness and the holiness of God gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and that allows space for Jesus to come in and do what only he can do. That you can only truly worry about what you think you have ownership over. And that's all really submission is. It's going to God and laying it all down and saying, God, this isn't mine. I don't have control of the situation. I don't have control over my life. It's yours, God. Behold, I am your servant. Let it be to me according to your will. And then finally, Mary praised. And look, we didn't actually have time to go through the verses this morning, but what Mary does is she gets this news. She submits to, the, to, to God and then immediately she goes away and visits, visits her relative Elizabeth. And then what they do is they sing a song of praise to their God. That even though Mary doesn't understand, even though it makes no sense to her, she praises God. That each and every one of us need to turn to God in the middle of the storms of our life. And just like Job, we need to cry out, though he slays me, yet will I praise him. And look, that that isn't just singing songs. But I do think that's a huge part of it. It's, It's just coming to this place where we become aware of who God is. And really, that that is a huge part of what praise and worship does. That as we fix our eyes upon Jesus and look full at his wonderful face, that the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So church, that, that is how we're going to finish tonight. I'm not going to close in prayer. I'm not going to do anything. We're just going to get up. And no matter where you are in your life right now, no matter the pain you are experiencing, I'm just going to invite you to stand and worship your King with all that you have. That you sing a song that is louder than the pain you are experiencing. That you worship God even though it makes no sense. Because when you do that, church, when you trust that God is who He says He is, when you submit and say, God, do what you need to do, and when you turn to Him and worship Him, then He becomes so much bigger than all our problems. So let us finish in praise.